Well, welcome to another special episode of On the Couch with myself, Henry Jennings from Marcus Today. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Mr. John Forward, the Chief Investment Officer from Lowell Resource Funds Management. And John is a qualified lawyer and geologist experienced in the resource sector with over 17 years of finance experience with RMB Resources. And he also has been a geologist and involved in exploration and development in Tanzania and Indonesia, which I would imagine was uh, an interesting experience, to say the least. So I'm really happy to have John on the couch today and looking forward to chatting to him about all things resources and a bit of gold as well. It's uh, certainly starting to stir a little bit the gold sector at the moment. So it'll be interesting to get his take on where it's going. So welcome, John. It's great to have you on the show. Henry, nice to be on the couch, and uh, thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's a pleasure, John. Uh, just before we do kick off, I must uh, remind all our listeners that it's general advice only, so please contact your financial advisor regarding any of the thoughts, ideas, or insights in this presentation or this podcast, and just remember, guys, it is general advice only. But, John, thanks very much for coming on the show, and congratulations your stock, Lowell Resources, LRT is the ASX code there. You've had a fantastic cracking year, really. So congratulations on the performance of the fund. How's it been going? I mean, apart from the obvious that it's been going really well, it must be quite tricky in a kind of a tough environment with the gold price not really heading the right way for you guys. Mm. Henry, who would have, I mean, who would have thought, you know, 12 months ago, here we are in April uh, 2021, 12, mo- 12 months on pretty much from the COVID lows of, of 2020, who would have thought uh, in, in, at that point in, in 2020 that we would have seen such a bounce back and boom, and in particular, the junior resources sector has really filled, um, filled the sales uh, behind the performance of the Lowell Resources Trust. So we are up more than 200% in that 12 months to 31st of March. Wow. In terms of our net asset value, uh, unit prices uh, have performed similarly. So, so John, tell me, how long's the the uh, the fund been going for? Is it uh, a new fund, or has this uh, been around for some years? There's a lot of history with the fund. The current management team took it on in 2004, so that's 17 years ago. Right. It only had a couple yep. of million dollars of assets under management back then, and we built it up largely organically. To the current asset assets under management of about 45 46 million dollars and, and what does the fund I, I guess you know it's a pretty much a broad-based resource fund is that fair to say it's broad-based in terms of commodities we look right across the commodity spectrum from precious metals gold base mainly right through to oil and gas so we can invest in any if you like hard hard commodities we don't do the the soft commodities uh, such as um, agriculture or timber, etc. But um, we are focused on the junior part of the sector. We don't invest in the BHPs and the Rio Tintos of the world. We're very much looking for the 10 baggers the junior part of the sector can provide. I, I think we're all looking for those 10 baggers, John, I've got to say. Yeah. <laughs> I think I think that's a familiar story. We all want the 10 baggers without the risk. Yeah. Um, but looking back on the last year, you know, the gold price has been kind of all over the place and it really, to some extent, has been supplanted recently in investors' minds by Bitcoin. How do you attribute your success in the last year with, with that headwind of the gold price? I mean, it's not been massively 
horrible, but it certainly is well and truly off its peak, even in Australian dollar terms. How, how do you how do you get that performance out of your portfolio in, in these sort of times? I think there's two factors that contribute to performance when some commodities perhaps aren't performing as well as others. Perhaps the main one of those is diversification. It's obviously diversification within the commodity sector, but we, we're we about a bit under 50% exposed to gold, but that means that the other 50% is, is everything else from oil and gas to base metals to battery battery minerals, etc. And And we sort of hold maybe on average about 5% Five percent cash. So uh, while gold has come off, you know, peaked at over two thousand US dollars an ounce in August last year, twenty twenty, uh, it's come off to currently being trading around you know seventeen thirty, seventeen forty US dollars an ounce. So come off nearly twenty percent, I suppose. But in in that period, we've seen the demand or the prospective demand for a number of other commodities. I'm talking about battery minerals in particular. Talking about uh, uranium. Uh, which is forecast to um, do very well. The fundamentals of those commodities, copper as well, have all performed pretty strongly. So there's a balancing effect in in our portfolio. I think the other factor is that you know we are looking at the pre-production sector or, or part of that that junior market. We're really focused on that value uplift between discovery or, or pre-discovery through to resource and feasibility study where you can see those you know, uh, mythical 10-bagger 10 10 bagger returns. And, and we've been lucky enough to um, get onto a few of those in that period. You, you certainly have, that's for sure. Um, so, so when you're looking at a, a junior resource stock, whether it's an explorer in the gold sector or in other sectors, what, what sort of things are you looking for uh, for a tick of approval to put um, the fund's money into it? There's, there's a multitude of, of factors and, and things that we look at but you know it, I guess it's motherhood but you know it's people and project in terms of people it is a small industry uh, we usually know the management or we know somebody who knows the management and we can get a pretty good read on the their history and, and performance we like to see management have some decent skin in the game either in terms of dollars or in terms of reputation and, and preferably both we we like to see management be nice and focused and in in terms of projects well we do have a top-down approach we we try and set the commodity exposure in terms of metals and commodities that we we see having a, a prospective future in the next you know two to three year period that's our typical investment horizon but then we have a, a strong bottom-up approach of looking at each individual project and assessing how that project will stack up going forward as the as the cycle moves one commodity i guess that always um i always struggle with is is uranium and you you talked about that a little bit earlier and touched on that it, it it's such a um it's not the most transparent of markets i guess when it comes to the underlying price of the commodity and we hear a lot about the uranium market you know going very well and prices going up and everyone jumps in paladin and uh, various other smaller uranium plays. It's not an easy one, is it, uranium, if you, if you do want to get an exposure to that in Australia? Is, is that fair to say? Yeah, there's, it's, it's a fascinating part of the market, the uranium market, and, and it's really got a, 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 dual, a dual market. There's the spot, spot market, where, which is the sort of price that is, we see quoted and, and traded every day. And then, then there's the term, term contract market. And, and 
what's happened over the last number of years, I guess, is that you've seen the term contract and, and some of these have quite a long, long dated and have been put in place a number of years ago, term contracts at, at significantly higher levels than the current spot price, which is sub sub $30, $30 a pound. Now that, that price is up significantly on what it was a couple of years ago, but still really there's no new projects going into production based on, on that, that spot price. And, and that's been the case for several several years, if not um, you know most of the last decade, you know probably even since Fukushima. You're not seeing that the new production come on. Uh, in 2020, it was rumored that you know there was more than a 50% shortfall in in production versus actual consumption by nuclear power plant utility. At some point, there is going to be a, I think there's going to be another massive spike and in, in the in the in the spot price. You're seeing you know the big boys like Cameco. They're they're uh, they're buying in the spot market to deliver, you know, at sub thirty dollars a pound to deliver into their term contracts, which are probably set at north of forty dollars a pound. Great, you know, you don't have to. You know, there's no operating cost in doing that. Fantastic, but you know, that's that's not a uh, long term long term proposition. And at some point, the uh, the chickens are going to come home to roost, and uh, the spot price is really going to move. Yeah, that's that's fascinating, isn't it? That uh, that movement from some of these guys buying uranium actually in in the spot mm. market. To, uh, to deliver it's um, certainly interesting now as far as you know we, we uh, are a retail sort of focused newsletter clearly our members don't have the benefit of, of your experience your skill set your investment process and your knowledge I guess of the management involved in some of these projects what what advice can you give the the man on the uh, I was going to say the Clapham omnibus but okay the Fitzroy tram yeah. in terms of how to um, how to replicate your success on the on on their own with their limited resources is there any sort of pointers that you can give to uh, the retail investor oh henry other than going out and buying a few units of lrt uh, it's, it's, I was going to say that, John. Yeah. I was going to um, say that. Look, which is which is we we do have a a, a portfolio approach. We've got to nearly sixty stocks in our portfolio now. On the ASX, there's uh, I think around seven hundred resource stocks listed on the ASX. There's probably I think there's more than two thousand listed on the TSX, the Toronto Stock Exchange, and we do invest on overseas as well we've got a number of tsx stocks and we've got a number of unlisted unlisted stocks as well that are coming through to a, a liquidity event at some point we have it we're able to take a portfolio approach in terms of mineral exploration there's skill um uh, good management but there's also a significant amount of luck involved so some of those uh, stocks which may or may not be in the bottom drawer of our portfolio that you know if they're well funded they're in you know, well mineralized areas, and they've got good management. They're giving themselves a chance to have a major, major discovery. I, I refer to um, the current biggest holding in the portfolio, which is a company called Lafroy Exploration. We've been invested in that company since 2016. Great management, really good geologist running it. Well, well backed by a number of um, deep-pocketed shareholders, and in a great mineralized area south of Kalgoorlie in the eastern goldfields of WA. It took five years. The share price went sideways from 20 cents to 20 cents for five years. And then all of a sudden they made a discovery just in February this year. Share price has gone from 20 cents to $1.40 and it's become the biggest biggest shareholding in our portfolio. So 
it does help to have a have a bit of a portfolio approach rather than putting all, all your eggs in one basket. That's uh, that's certainly a, a patient approach on those because uh, they can lie quite dormant for some time, as, as you say, and it's suddenly out of nowhere a catalyst comes. It's very hard to pick those, I guess, even if you've got the um, the experience and the, the geologist skills that you have to to wonder when that when that catalyst is going to propel them but well done for picking that one it's it's obviously been a huge winner have you been selling any along the way or are you still uh, still a large shareholder there is still hanging on for the ride no, haven't haven't sold a share i think in this market's obviously had a great run that's lafroy exploration but mm. we think that the market is conducive to uh substantial further uplift there we think that they're onto something bigger. It's quite a possibly a unique deposit that they found in the eastern gold fields, so a, a porphyry, a gold mm. copper porphyry, which is unusual for that that geology. And we think that the market will continue to reward uh, exploration success at that project. Wow. Okay. Well, a seven bagger and more to come. That's what we like to hear, um, John. As far as um, other stocks in your portfolio go, are there another couple of stocks there that you've uh, had substantial success with that you're happy to talk about? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, you know, um, I think one of the big ones, the better known ones, it's it's got the biggest market cap of anything in our portfolio now is a company called DeGray Mining, D-E-G listed on the ASX. Ah, yes. A lot of people will have heard of DeGray and its lighting discovery up in the Pilbara. They are due to release their initial resource mid mid this year. But as I understand it, they've got 10 drilling rigs going hammer and tongs. They've got 40 geologists up there on site. It is a it is a major major wow. discovery. They you know we we saw the opportunity there. They were undervalued. They didn't hold hundred percent of their project up until I think mid 2019, when they bought out their Chinese partner uh, and and got it 100%. We'd been uh, investing in a, num- a number of times over those previous years at sort of sub 10 cents because we believed in the geology and and I used to actually work with the the technical director there, Andy Beckwith. Had a lot of faith in him, and um, uh, uh-huh. they. I know, you know Andy. Andy. Yeah, he's a, he's a great guy. Um, you know, couldn't have happened to a, to. A, I him in his West Cold days. Yep. You know, they made their they yeah. they announced their first drilling results just before Christmas in in 2019, and the market didn't react. It was it was quite remarkable. Then they put out some more results in early 2020, and the market started to move. And so they they went from you know sort of sub 10 cents to uh, I think they hit a dollar 50. Sort of um, when the gold price peaked, peaked in August last year, they currently trading around a dollar 20 uh, and we think that's probably going to turn out to be one of the biggest discoveries in Australia if not globally of, of recent times so that's a it's funny isn't it to, a, to 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 an amateur like me you would think that every rock and every piece of land in Australia had been kicked over tested they'd stuck an auger drill down or they'd done something with it to find out whether there was anything there. And yet we still have these massive discoveries, as you say, that uh, are, are cropping up. It, it seems, I don't know, it seems a little crazy sometimes to, to think about yeah, that. Yeah, look, there's a lot of there's a lot of covered, you know, a lot of Australia that's covered with sand. So we've invested in an unlisted mm. company that's about to IPO. It's just south of that uh, degray discovery at Hemi, where, you know, there's, there's, there's large blocks that have never been drilled. They're, they're under maybe 10 to 50 metres of sand cover. Uh, and that company, uh, Flynn Gold, 
has, has pegged those areas prior to the prior to the Hemi discovery. You know, found that there's actually quite a bit of historical anomalism and mineralisation or anomalism on surface that uh, is now crying out to be drilled. I like the name, Flynn Gold. <laughs> yeah, Flynn Gold. <laughs> it is named after Errol Flynn because it's got projects down in Tasmania. Oh, it where is. He, uh, where he um, originates from. One of Tasmania's uh, most famous sons, I guess, old Errol yes, Flynn. Yes, bit of a checkered reputation, but... Um, <laughs> Certainly had a checkered reputation, but uh, in like Flynn, I guess. As far as um, we, we've heard some of your success stories, what sort of traps should the unwary be uh, be looking for in in some of these junior resource stocks? Because they can be they can be a little bit of a money pit sometimes, and they can, you know, I've come across lots that I would consider lifestyle businesses, and lifestyle mm. businesses very much for the directors uh, rather than the shareholders. Uh, is that one of the traps that you uh, would would warn people about? Yeah, it's a great great point, Henry. The, the, you, know, you can you can roughly calculate the ratio of administration expenses to money that goes in the ground, as we like to say, on on you know proper expiration. Yep. And when you see that ratio being um, you know getting out of whack and and too much being spent on expiration versus uh, um, you know actual hard hard geology being done, then that's a that's a warning signal. That that having said that, you know, at the depths of the cycle, when when these companies have got no money, then uh, that ratio does blow out for for everybody, and uh, you know, not many people are able to do much drilling. But that's that's probably the time to be looking to increase your exposure to this, sec- this sector because you know it is cyclical and it will it will come back. I think you know other things are you know if you see a a project that's been renamed a number of times means it's been uh, it's been through a number of a number of cycles and often you'll scratch your head and think oh that's a new project i haven't heard of that one before and then you'll realize it's actually got a <laughs> got a new name and it's just being um cycled so perhaps that's a that's another warning sign and then i think um you know perhaps uh, you know management focus in terms of a not making sure that management not paid too much in cash and, and they're in, they're incentivized to get the share price up um and making sure that management you know aren't uh, you know, spending time on too many other different things and getting distracted sage advice there john thank you as far as we've we've heard lots recently about i guess the commodity super cycle and there's a lot of people been talking about this especially with global growth rebounding from the pandemic at an astronomical rates in some countries and certainly australia is not not being left behind in that gdp growth what um what's your view of this commodity super cycle are we it's i mean if you're in iron ore you would already be in a commodity super cycle to some extent and even copper is is this something that you can see playing out over the next two or three years that we will get this big uh, surge in commodity prices look it's quite it's quite possible we, we, we know you know having said that we we're currently nowhere near the levels that we got to sort of you know in 2011 in terms of the um, global commodity basket where you know that, that GSCI index is at about 2,000 odd at the moment, you know, and in 2011, it got to uh, over 9,000, I think. And similarly with the junior resources index, you know, we're we're nowhere near where we got to. Even even when you plot the commodities versus, you know, Dow Jones, we're at at almost all-time lows, Mm -hmm. partly because obviously the Dow is is so high. But fundamentally, you, you mentioned copper, and the fundamentals for something like copper look excellent. The, there's been significant underinvestment in new projects over uh, the last 15 to 20 years, and when, and when you are trying to develop a new a new project, the the timeline for permitting, environmental approval, etc., 
is blowing out all the time. So it's becoming harder and harder and taking longer and longer to get a major copper mine up and running. And then on the demand side, the equation was really compelling. The electrification of, of the world, not just electric vehicles, but you know, pretty much everything we do now has got some form of you know, electronic input. And um, and then you have the, the stimulus that um, we've seen, $5 trillion of, of stimulus being announced in, in the US over the last, last six months. You've got uh, global economies looking like they're pulling out of, as you mentioned, pulling out of the COVID crisis extremely strongly and, and you know uh, I think the forecast for global economic growth is, is 6% year which is which is quite quite remarkable so yeah look mm. the factors are there mm. for a commodity super cycle I'm, I'm the last person to, to call one but you know certainly it's, it's quite possible I'm sure you won't be the last person to call one John I'm sure there'll be someone <laughs> way after you <laughs> very late very late to the mm. party um, looking at the, the individual sectors we've talked a little bit about uranium and copper and a little bit about gold I guess are there any other commodity sectors that you guys have been focusing on that you see for uh, good growth going forward in the next year or 18 months we, we, we've liked nickel for, for a, a, quite a period now nickel is a big input into electric vehicle battery. If just Elon Musk achieves his projected targets by 2030, <laughs> he Tesla alone will require multiples of the current world nickel production in terms of battery grade battery grade nickel. You know, to counter that, uh, we heard Jing Shan, a major Chinese nickel refiner, come out last month and say we can make battery grade nickel out of nickel pig iron, which is which is a low grade low grade form of nickel. So, and that and that did you know did hit the price uh, somewhat, but even even if that's possible, and that that will be expected to be an energy intensive process, so it may not have the green credentials that people are looking for. Even if that happens, the, the demand for nickel is is going to be um, exceptionally exceptionally strong. Uh, the, the the move mm-hmm. to electric vehicles seems to be inexorable, and and there's there's almost no going back now. In terms of the number of pretty much all the global car companies have announced they're going all electric you know by some point you know from from 2030 yeah so and nickel is uh you know these nickel manganese cobalt batteries you can thrift on some of these other commodities that they require but but nickel is very hard to um substitute for so if, if we're looking at nickel the uh, $64,000 question i guess is what's your favored nickel play in this market at the moment? So we've got two substantial investments in, in nickel stock. They're both uh, in the Americas. Their projects are both in the Americas. One, one is listed here in on the ASX called Centaurus Metals, which has a uh, nickel sulfide project in Brazil. They've got 500,000 tonnes of, of contained nickel, just released their scoping study, which looks very healthy and, and is bound to uh, improve on on their on those initial economics given the drilling they've been doing. The unusual thing about that is that that's a good grade near surface nickel sulfide project. So there've been a number of nickel discoveries here in here in WA uh, of late, but most of those are uh, underground projects. And Taurus has good metallurgy and the potential to mine most of its known nickel. Uh, from from open cuts, we like we like Centaurus. The other nickel play that we've got, which perhaps is uh, a little bit harder to access for Australians, is um, listed on the Toronto Stock Exchange called Talon Metals, which has got a joint venture with Rio Tinto in Minnesota, uh, and p- producing some stunning stunning nickel hits. You know um, the nickel equivalent grades of you know sort of 
10 or 12 meters at 8% nickel equivalent in, in, in nickel sulfide, that project looks, um, looks like it's, it's definitely going to go into production at some point in the next next few years. So um, just to uh, just to finish up, it's been really great talking to you. But one thing that I guess when you look at the uh, your fund, it does trade at a discount to its NTA, and it is a bit. I've got to say, it is a bit illiquid. Mm. It doesn't uh, it doesn't attract a lot of volume. Is there any way that you guys are planning to sort of try and um, alleviate that and create some some more? liquidity in the fund and, and make it easier i guess for for not only retail guys to get into but but also bigger players as well is, is there anything you can do or is it just that is the way it is with with a small fund you know, focused on resources look you know we, we don't we don't like to accept that that's that's the way it's got to be so it, part of the part of the job is to get out there and tell people about it and, and it's a little bit like pulling yourself up by your by your bootstraps because we listed in in 2018, but we had a long history of um, being unlisted with with uh, in a significant unit holder base prior to that. A lot of that unit holder base is not is not does not trade the stock. So we have to gradually work on uh, increasing liquidity and 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 spreading the spreading the um, the stock holdings of the stock. I think you know other things we can do are just growing the size of the fund organically. The bigger you get, um, the, the the more uh, more valuable the units are, and, um, and hopefully the increase in liquidity. We have conducted uh, unit unit buybacks in the past to provide some liquidity for existing holders, and that's something that uh, that could be considered considered again uh, in the future. Any uh, any plans at all to uh, to grow the fund beyond the organic process and, and actually uh, leverage your your success in the last few years? I guess into uh, it's creating a, a bigger fund and a bigger opportunity for investors to get involved? It's definitely something we're always always considering and we have had a number of approaches. Certainly if, if investors, as, you know, substantial investors would like to invest at the underlying unit unit um, NAV price, we'd, we're, we're all ears. But, uh, you know, we are reluctant to do a, a discounted, discounted rights issue or, or um, a placement, if you like, that uh, you know, we see that as um, not being in the best interests of, of existing unit holders. That's, that sounds fair enough. I, I must declare that uh, a great mate of mine, Richard Morrow, who's the chairman of the Melbourne Mining Club, is uh, also a part of your fund on the investment committee, I believe, and he's a broker with Bailey's. So I'm sure he will be able to help you out if you ever do determine to uh, go down that path. I'm sure he'll be only too delighted to uh, to help yeah. out. No, he's, he's great. Richard, fantastic to work with, and um, you know, he's had fantastic input into the success of the fund. Yeah, no, he's, he's, a, he's a really uh, lovely guy and a, a very knowledgeable resource, if you pardon the pun, yes. um, in terms of uh, mining companies as well. So I uh, I've known Richard for about 30 years. So, John, it's been an absolute delight to chat to you today. I thoroughly enjoyed it, and it's been really been some great ideas for our retail guys and our members. So I'm sure they will be um, pouring over the podcast and having a look at Centaurus and maybe even Talon Metals, because I know some of our members do trade in uh, other jurisdictions apart from Australia they're very keen on international exposure so I wouldn't be surprised to see people asking about that one but thank you very much John it's been an absolute delight and uh, I wish you well for the fund in the coming year as well. Henry uh, thank you very much a, a real privilege to be on the podcast and uh, I hope the, hope your members get something out of it. I'm, sh- I'm sure they will it's been a delight thanks John again. Cheers Henry.